Alright, the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to read Matthew 1, verse 1, and we're going to read and then skip down to verses 16 and 17. And what you'll notice here is you have a long line of genealogy in between those passages. Something that is unusual in these passages is that there are four women mentioned in these passages. A few of them, a few of them were actually Gentile women. And what this speaks of is what Matthew is going to be heading toward, and that is the acceptance not only of the Jew, but of all nations into that lineage of Jesus Christ himself. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, then verses 16 and 17. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, or the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, or the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, a couple of things about this genealogy. We mentioned the women earlier. The other thing to note is that this genealogy is compressed. So if you were to follow this genealogy and you were to trace it through the Old Testament because it is an accomplishment from Abraham all the way through Malachi, what you will find is that there are individuals left out. That's not unusual in Jewish genealogy. They will actually compress things down. And you'll notice in the genealogy it says that so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And that proceeds all the way down. You'll see in verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And you'll see that all the way through. You have this... <clears throat> Father begetting son. Son then becomes the father and begetting another male child. And then you'll notice in verse 16, Jacob was the father of who? Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. Now you may want to make a little notation here in your Bible. The word by whom Jesus, by whom, is not masculine. It's feminine and is referring to who? Not Joseph, but Mary. Because Jesus' father was who? God. Joseph was his legal father. And we'll see that as we go through here. But he was not the one that begat the baby. God begat the baby in the womb of Mary, his mother. So when you read 
the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom, that is Mary, Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So there's an exception, and that exception heightens our attention to this. And so on this Christmas Eve, we're going to be both preaching a Christmas message, but we're also beginning our series here in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, written under the inspiration of God, was a book that was written primarily to the Jew. And because of that, when a Jew read this book of Matthew, he would bring to his to the table of reading this all of his Jewish heritage and all of his Jewish understanding. So when it says the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he's coming to this table of which we're coming with every word in that first verse fully pregnant with meaning. When he reads the record, he's going to remember something. When he remembers genealogy, he's going to remember something. When he reads Messiah, he's going to bring to that all his understanding of the prophesied Messiah. And when he reads Son of David, that's going to speak something to him. And when he reads Son of Abraham, that's going to speak something to him. And we want to examine all of these things. The book of Matthew has, in this book, written primarily to the Jew, 63 direct quotations from the Old Testament. That's about two and a quarter quotations per chapter. And of course, we know as Bible students that when we're reading in our Bible, and we read a quotation in our Bible, we should pause and go back and read that quotation and understand it in the context in which that quotation is given because that understanding is brought forward into the book of Matthew or any book that is quoting the Old Testament. Not only are there 63 direct quotations, there are approximately... You're not ready for this. 278 allusions back to the Old Testament in this book. And so when we combine both of those together, we have approximately 12.2 references to the Old Testament every chapter that you read here in this book. And that's why I say for us to come and approach this book, especially as Gentile believers, we need to be very well versed in our Old Testament if we're truly going to understand what Matthew is communicating to these people. Now the book of Matthew explodes on the scene prophetically after 400 years of silence. From the prophet Malachi, which is the last prophetic voice from God, to this prophetic voice of Matthew, there are four centuries 
of silence from heaven. A lot of providential activity is going on, but no direct word from God. And Matthew brings that direct word to that nation and to us. And that word centers around this question. Who is Jesus Christ? And of course, John echoes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Luke says Jesus is the Son of God, the truth, the fulfillment of all that is written in the Old Testament. Mark declares that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the good news of which we should be excited about. And Matthew turns around and declares to us right here in this first verse, which is the theme of the book, that Jesus, the Son of God, is the Messiah King that will bless all nations with his salvation. That's what the theme of this book is. And so when you look at this first chapter, what you are seeing is two major things that you and I would have to know. The first is his earthly origin. What is his earthly origin? Well, that's verses 2 through 17. His earthly origin is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And that genealogy of which he traces through, of which, verse 16, we read, all right, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Both of them were of the lineage of David. And then this amazing thing, of whom or by whom Mary, Jesus was born. So there's his earthly origin. But what's unusual about his earthly origin is that he was born of a woman. And so verses 18 through verse 25 tell us how that can be. So we have his earthly origin, and now verses 18 through 25, we have his divine origin. And of course, you'll read down there in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I mean, this explodes right at the opening here of this book. So he opens this up, verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, or the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so what we want to look at is that one verse. So that we will understand after 400 years of absolute silence, God opens the scene by declaring that first verse. What do we see? <clears throat> well, first of all, we see a name and a title. What is this person's name? Jesus. Jesus. And his title, this isn't his last name, 
Jesus Christ, Christ is not His last name, it's His title. And the word Christ is what we say in place of the word Messiah. He is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is His human name. What does that name mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Jesus would be the word translated Joshua. And the word Joshua means Jehovah saves. And of course we see that here down in this verse. Look down in verse 21. We'll take a dip into our next message. She shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus or Yeshua. Why? For he shall save his people from their what? From their sins. And so his human name defined his very person. So his human name is Jesus, and his title, Messiah, refers to him being the anointed one. Not a anointed one, the anointed one. And when you look into your Old Testament, what you see is this. That God would send a prophet and they would have an anointing horn. And in that horn would be oil and they would anoint people. They would anoint other prophets. And they would anoint priests. That Arianic priesthood, Moses took the anointing oil and he anointed not only Aaron the high priest, he also anointed the other priest. Meaning they were set aside for that specific purpose and given the Holy Spirit in order to enable them to carry out that function. So prophets were given that. David was... One of those, he was anointed by who? Samuel. Samuel. And he was a prophet. But not only that, David was a king. So you had prophets that were anointed, and you had priests that were anointed, and you had kings that were anointed. And Samuel anoints David as God's chosen king. In that sense, David was an anointed one. He was a Messiah in that sense. But he was not the Messiah. And when we come to Jesus Christ and we talk about him, brethren, he was anointed by God as Messiah. He's the anointed one as prophet. Capital P. He was the revelation of God in the flesh. He not only spoke revelation, He is the revelation of God. And He is the anointed high priest. The book of Hebrews tells us. 
We have a priest that has been entered into the heavens. Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator between God and man. This man, Christ Jesus. So he is the anointed prophet. And he is the anointed priest or high priest. And he is the anointed what? King. Psalm 2 says, This is the one I have chosen, and I have set you on my holy hill of Zion. He is the anointed king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And so when we read that word Jesus, that was his earthly name, and we read the Messiah, we come to that understanding that he is the prophet, the priest, and the king, and nobody in the Old Testament was allowed to assume those same offices unto himself, and if he did, he was killed by God. David was the only one that came close. He was not only an anointed king, he was also a prophet. But he was not a what? He was not a priest. And so here we have already the record of the genealogy of this baby. The one that we're going to celebrate, Lord willing, tomorrow. And who is he? He is the revelation of God. He is the anointed priest. No need for any type of Catholic priesthood. He is the anointed priest, and brethren, you and I are part of that priesthood. We have been anointed as holy priest unto Him. And He is the King. And this is the emphasis that Matthew is going to place upon Him. And folks, today in our culture, Jesus the Messiah as King is rarely proclaimed by the church. It was not so in the New Testament. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul was accused of preaching that there was another king other than Caesar. He was actually preaching that Jesus Christ, He is Lord, is He not? And He is Savior, but He is also King. And folks, when you think about a king, you think about a ruler. And when you think about a ruler, you think of citizens in his kingdom who obey him. Not mouth him, but obey him. And in fact, he would later on say that those enemies who would not have him rule over them shall be cast into a lake of fire and brimstone. So here what we have immediately just exploding after 400 years of silence is Jesus, the Messiah. 
Now what we're going to see about him are three major facts. We're going to first of all look at the record of the genealogy. Then we're going to look at what it means that he's the son of David. And then we're going to look at what it means that he's the son of who? Of Abraham. What does this mean? Number one, he is the new Genesis. It says, the record of the genealogy. The word record is the word that means book. Now in the Old Testament, they didn't have books like we have them today. They had scrolls. It still refers to the very same thing. It refers to the writings. Matthew says this is the book and it is the book of the genealogy. The word genealogy comes from a Greek term that means Genesis. This is the book of the Genesis of Jesus the Messiah. Now brethren, when we read that, if you were Jewish, I dare say none of us had come to their mind what I'm about to say to you. But when they read the record of the genealogy, when they read that in Matthew's Hebrew or Greek writing, they immediately knew what he was referring to. And I want you to turn to that. I want you to go back to the book of Genesis. And you're there in chapter 2. I want you to go over, hold your place in chapter 2. And I want you to go over to Genesis chapter 5. So I'm going to read to you again Matthew 1.1. And then we're going to read Genesis 5 and verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus. Genesis 5.1 This is the book. Remember what I told you record meant? This is the book of the... That's the Hebrew word translated in the Greek Old Testament, Genesis. This is the book of the Genesis of who? Adam. Everybody see that? Now in the book of Genesis, you've got a lot of origins. This is what the word Genesis means, the origin. So here what we have is the book of the Genesis of Adam, and we have that Genesis given to us. We know his origin. We know where he came from. We know how he was formed. We know when he was created, don't we? He was created on what day? The sixth day. We know all of that. And in Genesis 5 verse 1, immediately after that, you have a record. Just like you have in Matthew 1. You have a book of the Genesis, not of Adam, but of Jesus. And after that that statement, you have a record of his origin. So too you have in Genesis chapter 5. 
And in essence, the very first time this word Genesis occurs is in, Gen is in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. Here we have another Genesis. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says, This is the account. The word account is the word translated Genesis. This is the Genesis, not of Adam, but of the heavens and the earth in which the day they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heaven. So what we have previous to Genesis 2-4 is the origin of all of creation, of the heavens and of the earth. And what we have in Genesis 5 is the genesis of a man, the first man, and his name is who? His first name is Adam. And when we turn back to Matthew chapter 1, those early Jews, if they had any exposure to their Old Testament at all, would have immediately recognized the parallel and the contrast between Genesis 1 verses 1 through 17 and Genesis chapter 5 verses 1 and following. What we have here, brethren, is two origins of two human beings. One of them out of the dust of the ground. And God breathed into that vessel of clay the breath of life. And another origin of a man who was not fathered by an earthly father, but was of the seed of the woman, a virgin who would conceive and bear forth a child, who would be of heaven. He would be divine. And so what we have here, brethren, is the genesis or the beginning, or the origin of two different humanities. Everybody see that? Two different humanities. Adam, you are part of Adam when you're born into this world, but you're only born into the second Adam is if you've been reborn, not from an earthly perspective, but from a heavenly perspective. And folks, what we have here is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We have the hope of hopes being accomplished. Genesis chapter 1 gives to us the origin of creation. And it was very what? It was very good. It was perfect in every respect. And then it went from perfection to ruin. And we live today in the ruin of that original creation. We presently live in Adam in a fallen creation. 
And then Matthew tells us, look at verse 17, Matthew 1, that this has occurred. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. We have the fall is proceeding to ruin. Everybody following my, my time frame here? A promise is given to Abraham and it goes from ruin to the kingship of David. Everybody see that in verse 17. So from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And David was a man after God's own heart. He was not a perfect man. But he was the type of the Messiah. A coming one from heaven whose heart would be completely for God. He would love God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength. Everybody see that? Now folks, from that kingship of David, I'm here in Matthew 1 verse 17 again, comes the loss of the house of David. God establishes that house, does He not? And that house proceeds to destruction. And we see that when when Matthew says from David to the deportation to Babylon. Folks, when the Babylonians came and they destroyed that nation because of their wickedness, those kings that were kings of Judah were totally ungodly. And God brought that kingly house to ruin because it took itself to ruin. So from Abraham to the kingship of David, 14 generations. From the kingship of David to the ruin of the house of David by the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. But folks, God is faithful. Because from the deportation to Babylon, from the ruin of the house of David, to the Messiah, are 14 generations. And folks, this was prophesied. The prophet Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, was quoted by James in the book of Acts, chapter 15. And let me read it to you. Listen carefully. James declares that the words of the prophets agree that this is just as is written. After these things, I will return 
and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. You remember what Matthew said? All the way from Abraham to the kingship of David. Boom. From the kingship of David to the loss of that house of David. Boom. From the loss of the house of David to the Messiah. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins. And I will restore it. For this reason, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Folks, when you read verses 16 and 17, when you read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, if you've been versed in the Old Testament, you come right out of that chapter rejoicing because God is faithful to what He has said and He said it a long time ago and He's done it just like He said. This is amazing. This will transform your Christmas morning into something profitable and edifying. It's not about family. It's not about me. It's not about gifts under a tree. All those things are good, perhaps have their place. But what it's all about is that the house of David, that kingship being restored and being built up and the Lord is going to do this. And the Lord came down from glory and He had an earthly name and His name's Jesus, the Messiah. And this is the book of the Genesis of that man. Glory, glory be to God. So after 400 years of silence, what we have is a new beginning. Folks, it's not a remodeling of the old. Did you hear that? It's not God taking the old creation that's been marred by sin and death and saying, well, I'm just going to remodel it. I'm just going to kind of give them the power so that they will be able to keep my laws. No, this is a new creation. And the original creation began with the creation of the heavens and the earth. And it, it came to its climax with a man. Am I right? The new creation begins with the man. And then we will get the new creation after that. Everything is in reverse. Hallelujah for that. And what we have in, Genesis, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 all the way down through verse 16 is the record of that kingly genealogy that promised Davidic descent just like God has said. And it was going to be a virgin birth. So we have a new Genesis. This is the second Genesis of Jesus Christ. Because He created the first one, did He not? He is the one who brought all those things into existence. This is Christmas. 
blow your family away tomorrow when you're gathered and say, can we pause and can we just read Matthew 1.1? And when you read it, just say, I want to declare to you, we are a people of the new Genesis. And they will look at you like they've never heard this before in their whole life. And you will have an opportunity to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And what makes that good news is this, Matthew 1.1. Here's the book of the Genesis of Jesus. He's the Messiah. The son of who? He's the son of David. Now, why is that so important? Well, I want you to go back to 2 Samuel. I had you mark your place there. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Not only do we have the promised restoration, but we have the promise of what is called the Davidic covenant. This is no minor covenant. This is so amazing that even David himself said that this was amazing. Especially in light of him being a sinful human being. So I want to begin reading in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I want to begin reading in the last part of verse 11. The last sentence in verse 11. David is desiring to build a temple for the Lord. God had been dwelling in tents. And he wanted to build a building. And in chapter 7, verse 11, last sentence, it says, God speaking, Nathan speaking to David, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a what? House, house for you. Now think about this. David wants to build a house for the Lord. <laughs> the Lord says... I want to build a house for you. Verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your father, I will raise up your descendant, singular, after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul when I removed him from before you. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me how long? Forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This is amazing. And I want to bring out three points here. Number one, the Lord declares, as we read in verse 11, the Lord, and notice capitalized in your translations, this is Jehovah. The Lord also declares to you the Lord will make a house for you. Everybody see that? Then 
God says, verse 13, that God was going to raise up a descendant of the line of David and that God was going to establish His kingdom. Verse 13, He shall build a house. Isn't that fascinating? Who's going to build a house for David? Tell me. The Lord is going to build a house. Who's going to build a house for God? Verse 13. This descendant. And folks, what that tells us is is that the Lord building a house is the same Lord who's going to be the descendant who is going to build a house for God's own name and God will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Now note verse 13, the period there. That's an important period. Because folks, He will not commit iniquity. And God will not judge Him. He will be the sinless, spotless Son of God Son of David, son of Abraham. Verse 16. Your house. Now what house is that? This is the house that God's going to build for who? God's going to build a house for David. So when God builds a house for David, it becomes David's what? David's house, your house, and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. So number one, the Lord is going to build a house for David. Now you may want to put a little note beside there. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read it for you. And you're going to have to listen carefully. The Bible says that Christ has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why can you say that? Because the builder of the house, everybody hear that? Because the builder of the house, the Lord said, I'm going to build you a what? A house. The builder of the house has more glory than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, not as a builder. For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. Now listen. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. He's the builder of the house whose house we are. If we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope firm unto the end. Christ is the builder of the house. 
God is the builder of all things. So that means Christ must be who? He must be God. And folks, this is going to happen in a distant future. God was not referring to Solomon. He was not referring to those kings after him. Look at verses 18. Then David the king went in. He went into the temple and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God. For you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. So David knew that he wasn't talking about his son Solomon. David knew that he was talking about the seed of the woman. He's talking about the Messiah, and it was going to happen not immediately, but when? In the distant future that God was going to raise up a descendant from his own lineage, and David understood that as a messianic promise, and the Psalms confirm that. And that that distant future messianic king, his kingdom would be forever. This is what David understood. And lastly here, he understood, look at verse 27, that this was new revelation. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Folks, God's going to build a house for David by the descendant of David. And the descendant of David is going to build a house and he's going to bring all things in subjection under his feet. And he's going to take that house that is full of citizens, of reborn people, and He's going to deliver it to God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, just like we read in our Scripture reading. If you were Jewish, you would have read in Matthew 1.1 exactly what that meant when He said, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David. Blessed be His name. That would change a Christmas gathering. And the sad thing is, brethren, is that people don't want this. And I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm going to use an old Southern spirit. I'm going to tell it like it is. God doesn't care a lick about what you think. What He cares is, will you bow the knee to His chosen King? That's what He cares about. And folks, he's not talking about David and Peter understood this on the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and he says, the patriarch David, he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us today. I've seen the tomb. I've walked in front of his casket in Israel. And in that casket, there's David's body. He's not talking about David. He's talking about the descendant of David. And that's exactly what Peter declares. That this Jesus, God has made both Lord and Christ by raising Him from the dead. Hallelujah for that.
So as we go back to Matthew chapter 1, this is the book of the genealogy of the Genesis of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. He's also the son of who? Of Abraham. And folks, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 12. And I want to show you why Matthew put this here. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Lord God appeared to Abram. And he said, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. Now note this. And in you. Everybody see that phrase? In you. All the families of the earth shall be so in, Gen in Matthew 1.1, Matthew is already letting you know that the gospel is going to be preached to all the nations by saying that he's the son of Abraham. And if you're here in Genesis, if you go over to Genesis chapter 15, and you know this is a very famous passage, Genesis 15 and verse 6. But here, Abraham still does not have a descendant. And in verse 3, Abram says, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he, that is God, took Abram outside. So he took him outside the tent and he said, look to the heavens. Count the stars if you're able to count them. Everybody see that? And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, we have in our translations descendants. It is not plural in the Hebrew text. It is singular. And Galatians bears this out. That when God said, so shall your descendant be, He wasn't referring to Isaac. He was referring to the seed. Christ. Look up in the heavens, Abram. Where are the stars? Tell me. Where are the stars? They're in heaven, are they not? This is heavenly seed. Look up in there. See the stars. See if you can count them. So shall your descendants, so shall your seed, singular, be, Abram. And the Bible says Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Everybody following me? Now turn over to Genesis, our last passage, Genesis 22. 
Here we have the offering up of Isaac. And he was a promised descendant. And of course, you know the story. He takes Isaac up on the mountain. He's going to slay him as an offering to God and God holds him back from doing that. But in Genesis 22, verse 17, God speaks to Abraham and He says this, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of where? The heavens, and as of the sand, which is where? And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now folks, did you notice something there? Abraham is going to have a promised descendant. And that descendant would have descendants like the heavens, like the stars in heaven. A heavenly what? Seed. But here he adds, I will multiply your seed like the sand which is on the seashore. Folks, where's the sand? Is it in the heavens? Where is it? It's on earth. And what God is telling Abraham is this. There's coming a seed, a singular descendant that will have descendants like the stars of the heaven. It will be a heavenly seed. And, Abraham, you will have physical seed like the sand on a seashore. And we know them as what nation? Israel, and we know them by the name Jew, and they have multiplied like the sand of the sea. You're going to have two different trains, as it were. And so Paul comes in in Romans chapter 4, we don't have time to turn there, and he says, if you believe like Abraham believed about that heavenly seed and that heavenly descendant, you would be of the faith of Abraham. You would be of his seed. And that would be true for all the nations. And folks, if we are of the faith of Abraham, then Abraham is our father. And we are part of that heavenly seed, just like Abraham was part of that heavenly seed. And David was part of that heavenly seed. And Adam and Eve were part of that heavenly seed. And if you want to know how many are going to be in heaven and gathered in that kingdom one day, turn out all the lights, turn out all the city lights, and go out and look at the stars in heaven. See if you can number them. Numberless. But there is also a physical seed. And that physical seed needs to be born again so that it becomes a heavenly seed. Everybody following me? So when you go back to Matthew 1.1, all peoples, all nations who are of the faith of Abraham, 
will be the future inhabitants of Christ's kingdom. Notice I said future. The kingdom is not here today. The kingdom is not the church. Why would Christ tell us to pray, Thy kingdom come, if the kingdom was there? It's not there, and it's not here now, but it is coming, and the New Testament says that believing people are inheritors of that kingdom by the grace of God. This is the record of the Genesis. This new humanity of a man whose name is Jesus. He's the anointed one. Prophet, priest, king. He's the son of David. He's the promised descendant who will be on the throne forever. And he will have a kingdom made up of citizens which will be comprised of all the nations of the earth who have the faith of Abraham. And that kingdom one day, Revelation chapter 20, will come out of heaven and it will be on earth and God Himself will dwell with men and there will be nations in that day and they will bring forth gratitude offerings to the Lord for all that He has done. Brethren, this is not only the theme of the book of Matthew, it is the Christmas message. And you're not going to find that except in hints and whispers within the Christmas songs people sing today. His name is Jesus, Yeshua. You want to know what His name is? Remember I told you that Messiah is a title? Remember that? I'm going to tell you His Hebrew name. Are you ready? Yeshua ben Elohim. Jesus, the Son of God. That's how Jews name their children. They give them a name and say they're the son of whoever their father is. Yeshua ben Elohim is God's chosen king. He is the promised descendant of Abraham. He's the promised anointed one of the line of David. He's not just a anointed prophet. He is the anointed prophet, the anointed high priest, the anointed king of which all the Old Testament shine forth in shadows and in types. This is the baby who was born on that day of which nations of the earth, not all the nations of the earth, but many nations of the earth have set aside December 25th to celebrate is he now seated on a throne? He is at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. This King of kings and Lord of lords, 
died for our sins. Folks, He couldn't have a kingdom of people unless He remedied the curse. His kingdom of people are not remodeled people. We are a new creation. Created in who? Christ Jesus. All things of the genesis of Adam have passed away. Behold, everything is new to the glory of God the Father. What does God desire for people today? It is written that God commands all men everywhere to repent of their rebellion and their own self-ambition to set themselves upon their little, little thrones of life and to believe in the risen Son of God for salvation by repentance of your sins and bowing the knee before the King of kings and Lord of lords because one day every knee is going to bow, voluntary or involuntary. And those who do it involuntary will be cast into a lake of fire and brimstone. And folks, people aren't born into this world reborn. There needs to be a point of time. You may not remember the exact precise moment, but you will know something of a range of date where your life, you bended your knee to the Lord. And He changed you from heaven. And you became part of those heavenly stars that were promised to our father Abraham. This prophet, priest, king is coming again. And he's already receiving people. But he's going to come again and claim what is rightfully his. All creation. Even death will be under his feet. And he will take that all creation and by His word of a king, all things will be dissolved, Peter said. And all things will be dissolved by, by fire. And it will all be reconstituted into a new heaven and a new earth. Only righteousness. The old things, all the old things will be burned up. All of men's little thrones, all of men's little kingdoms that they have, all of men's little authorities that they want to rule over in their life, all their monies, all the records, all the events, it'll be all gone because it's all corrupt. We will live the rest of our lives. Lord, would you come quickly? And would you give your people a heart to rejoice in this great event of this baby in a manger? Let's pray.